you're in California. You're in Santa Monica. I mean, you're not. I mean, you're obviously in New York right now. Right, but you're of course. Santa Monica based. Yeah, we can't lie to the kids. <laughs> they, they'll see straight through it. But yes, yes, I like um, Santa Monica Bay. Yeah. Like How long have you been there? Thirty years. Thirty years. Or twenty nine. Wow. Half my life. Yeah. That's what I'm noticing. It's just coming up to, I think, half my life. That's those those milestones are are, are bittersweet. <laughs> Well, just Round e- numbers are tough to deal with. Just even having that many numbers to deal yeah. with is bittersweet. I, I didn't... It, it's only very recently that I acknowledged that this whole notion of mortality included mm. me. I'd been watching it with keen interest. <laughs> watching things, you know, fall to bits around me. I didn't know that was going to include me as well. I thought I'd raised myself above that. I thought I'd made myself quite clear earlier on. But, uh... Turns out, no, it's a catch-all. Well, that's the that's the thing about rock and roll is there's you know there's like once you make it past a certain point, you're good for a while in terms that's of dying, it. right? Oh, I see. Well, you don't know. Um, you wear on your face in your sixties what you did in your thirties. Yeah. That's if you're lucky enough to still have a face. <laughs> you know. So we shall see. But you've 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 mellowed out a little bit, right? I have indeed. You, you, you don't you don't. You don't party like you, you once did. I don't drink anymore, again. Uh, it's been about nine months, and it's uh, been quite good. It was a silly mistake to try, and I hadn't drunk for a while, and then I started again thinking that I was a grown-up, and a, a moderate drinking was a possibility. Mm. And it was for a little while, but then I was reminded of the page in the blue book that says the, <laughs> the obsession with the illusion of moderate drinking. Yeah. Uh, drives many of us to madness or death. You just don't want to accept that you can't control it, so you have another one Hmm. to show that you can control that one. Hmm. And then you have another one to show you can control that one. And then it's tomorrow. And I'm ever so sorry about what I said, but my brain switched off after the sixth drink, so I actually have no idea what I said. You're the only one who knows. <laughs> Which is a great safety valve. There might be a God, actually. I know, I'm know i not convinced there is a God, but that he switches off your short-term memory just as you open your heart and tell everybody what they already know but don't need to hear in public. That's very kind. Is, is is that uh, I mean is that a symptom of the fact that you're on the road all the time or is is are, are you just unable to be be moderate with alcohol in general? I think I already um, uh, inflated the balloon too hard mm. in previous decades, so that if you start filling it up, its natural tendency is to want to be fuller than legs can bear, and you can probably take less as well. You know what I mean? I, I can't do ten pints without going to the toilet now. Probably now I couldn't do ten pints without going to the toilet and not making it twice. <laughs> and there's something that's not quite so glamorous about a 50-year-old with a wet leg. <laughs> it just doesn't pull like it used to. I don't know. I don't think it was ever as charming as he thought it was. You just didn't notice because... But there's something about a James Dean. There's something about a reckless rebel in his 20s that's kind of glamorous. Yeah. And it can go on in a bit. In the 30s, whoa, he's a bit, you know, and it starts off like, whoa, that guy's crazy. Yeah. And then, whoa, he's a bit crazy. Oh, watch him, he's crazy. Oh, 
and then you get your 50s yeah. and 60s it's like oh him oh, he's crazy puddle leg <laughs> yes he stands there with one leg in a puddle saying he was in the clash or something I think it was the clash I can't really yeah. tell what he's saying or he toured with the clash something that's right Dave isn't it you were in the clash were you ah! hey, I give him a beer he's alright one type of hopes to avoid being that person yeah. Yeah, was was it was it the family? Was it the family that made you stop drinking? I mean, was it having a home life? No, 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 no. No, no that's what makes you start drinking. Mm. Is it the family? It's like yes, there's a huge family propensity towards drinking. Yeah, uh, but it's it, it's hard being a good parent when you're you know when you're loaded. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. It's it's useless, useless. Um, but those things happen. In those the things. Uh, all combine really yeah. it, it, I mean it's weird because when you're writing songs and thinking about parts in your head then sadly a certain bit of a buzz on don't seem to harm it, it helps clear away all the other stuff like societal stuff mm. Andrew Marvel's poem which I know everybody still enjoys the garden you know society is all but rude to this delicious solitude and having a couple of drinks and working on songs is like that. All the other nonsense about why we spend billions of dollars killing children and not mm. enough money feeding them, all that goes away with a couple of drinks and a song to write. So there was a bit of a refuge in it. And the can't help but still think, even though I haven't had a drink in a few months, that I'd still rather be a dead Mozart than a living Soliari. You know what I mean? Ours longer, we to brevis. Ours is art's long, life is short. Mm. You know what I mean? If it took a couple of drinks to write a great song. I'd rather do that than sit around waiting to hear somebody else's. However, Just, yeah. having said that, I don't really want to die of cirrhosis or something. And since I stopped drinking, it must have been the right time, so I've lost about forty pounds. Mm. So it was obviously. Uh, not doing me that much good. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I thought I was getting that uh, metabolic syndrome, I felt. I thought I was pushing it right to the edge there. A certain point last year, I had a one night where I thought, I could die right now, couldn't I? And it seemed like a real option. But if I just let the panic around what was going on swirl on, you could give yourself a heart attack or a stroke or something, you know. It was quite scary. But at that point, in fact, I actually found that I liked life quite a lot <laughs> and managed to do some breathing exercises and bring it under control and decided that, uh, no, actually, I was quite excited about living, which surprised me. Really? <laughs> you, seem, you seem to have had a, a, led a pretty charmed life as far as these things go. Yeah, I do. But you were surprised to learn that. Well, I was surprised that I loved life that much. I'd got a sense of ennui, you know. Yeah. Jean-Paul Sartre's ennui of the hands, like everything you touch just seemed boring. And uh, so I was surprised. I mean, getting over the fact, uh, having thought I was immortal anyway, then coming to terms that it might include me as well, mortality. This, this has all happened in the last, in the span of a year? Yeah, the last year. Yeah. And then, and then feeling on death's doorstep with the black bat's breath on my neck I actually found out that I wanted to relax and enjoy life that was a surprise to me but I'm glad, I mean that's optimistic isn't it? 
So, so this interview is not all. Yeah, is uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I want to live. <laughs> Dave Wakeling, shock, horror. You know. Well, you know, it's, I, I, I guess, I guess, from from my standpoint, the surprising part is that he was, uh, it, it was, it had gotten so dark for you. Um, you know, certainly when I... I, I don't did, think it had. I didn't think it had. Yeah. But, I, but alcohol's a depressant, so you don't realise that each day you're looking through a sort of narrower and darker tunnel. You still think it's the whole world, but it be, tends to become cynical yeah. and sarcastic because you have a bleak vision of the world. And, and it tends, I think, in my case at least, it lacks compassion or empathy. It's dead easy to see what's wrong with everybody else as you're pissing down your leg. But um, it's not delivered in a way that helps them because they already know that's what's wrong with them. So, you know, it, it just makes you tell the truth to the wrong people too loud at the wrong time. It's not possible to lie on alcohol. You're not that quick. Mm. You couldn't be devious. It just pours out. It's, it's everything that you haven't said that you should have said comes out isn't it a little at odds though with um being able to sort of do i thought you were saying before that you were you know sort of shutting shutting out the world around you or at least shutting out some of the larger well yes that's right yeah. it does to start with and then one of them gets a bit close and you unload and another thing yeah you know if anybody, yeah. anybody comes in your periphery firing yeah zone. <laughs> but, but i mean you were never anybody rattles your cage we, you were you were never one to uh, to separate the world's problems from your, from your songwriting, though, right? No, that's right. The, the macrocosm and the microcosm is all the same thing, I yeah. think. And um, I mean, there's a lot of different societal things going on, isn't there? Really, that you know, the role of men and women in mm. society has changed so much since I was your age. It's changed a lot, but so much of our traditional way of going about things haven't changed, hasn't kept up, you know. Lots of things, that's just an example, but there's tons of things in society that are anachronisms, and they tend to frustrate you, I think. If you're an artist or like to think of yourself as a progressive or something. Like I saw the black and white television news, I think the Six Days War, 11 or 12, and I remember thinking... I'm ever so glad by the time I grow up they'll have stopped this shit. This is like really old fashioned, mm. isn't it? You know. And it's kinda of got worse. Yeah. If anything, you know. And uh it's frustrating. I mean thirty years on, thirty thousand years on, sorry, of killing each other's children and it still hasn't made it better. Mm. It makes you wonder what if we'd started a try not to kill anybody else's child week. You don't have to promise not to do it. Just try your <laughs> fucking best, you know. See if you could try not to kill somebody else's child. For one week. For one week. Yeah. That's all. And I bet you that would be enough to buy fissures of optimism and inspiration that start to open up. Just you made that little bit of space that killing each other's children wasn't the most important thing every fucking week we live. Stuff would break out. Yeah, hey, oh, you could do this. You know, what about having kids having shoes instead of the dads having a Kalashnikov and they ain't got no shoes? What about we're going to we're going in again this time? What about shooting missiles at Iraq and instead of them costing a million dollars, just put nine hundred thousand dollars a used twenties in them? Let them make their own mind up. Self-direction. We like freedom. Send them some freedom notes. 
It just seems stupid to me, and it, it just frustrating. But you re realise it's generational, isn't it? You know, mm. the stuff that drove me mad as a kid or drove you mad as a kid. And then you think, oh, we went through all that and nothing's changed. And then you see little things 20 or 30 years later and you go, oh, oh, that's a change. Like my kid's in California. My son's like Obama colour and his sister's a bit paler. And our friends are all sorts. Like a Benetton advert. And I'm, I think it's exquisite that they don't refer to each other in terms of their ethnicity. Mm. They don't describe each other in terms of their ethnicity or tell their friends, oh, that one, the Persian bloke or the Indian bloke or the black kid or the... They don't say that. It's stopped becoming... Now, in California, everybody's yeah. the same bloody colour anyway. So, what, You know what I mean? It used to be my parents would use colour as a way of describing people that you probably didn't speak to. Oh, so mm. that's your black friend, is it? Mm -hmm. He seems quite nice, you know, considering... <laughs> like pigmentation that's going on and then just the other side you know trapped as you get between parents and kids now my kids don't use that's not a point of reference it's like is it a good person it's coming true it's the content of your character not the colour of your skin and that's becoming true for them in California so it yeah. is moving in the right direction now we might all be executed by Neanderthals who want the right to bear arms but spell bear wrong most times they write it while we wait but the movement's there you know the, that perfect union is available with the steak knives <laughs> what uh what, what, what yeah, I, I guess on, on that subject what were, what were things like you know when you were when you started playing music you know when you were playing this sort of West Indian music when you know, first-generation immigrants were had had come over, and yeah. you were first learning about Jamaican music. I mean, was it was it still a little strange at that point to to be in uh, be in a band, an integrated band? I know integrated is such a strange word mm. to use now, but no, not really. But we were lucky because it was Birmingham, and it mm. was an industrial city which had been forced into yeah. integration in the factories. So lots of people had stood next to lots of other colour people in factories for long enough for them to have at least a sense that they probably had more in common than their differences. Mm. So people, there were, of course, all white or all black pubs probably, um, but there was plenty of pubs you could go in that had music with all sorts of different coloured people and different coloured people playing on stage. So... Uh, we were lucky because of that, I think. And when we first went to London and played a show, a load of skinheads got round us and we were like, oh, we were like, oh dear. And they were like, uh, oh, I like that. Like, black geezers and white geezers got on stage together. That's all right, isn't it? I like that. I'll have a bit of that. Hmm. I like that. And we were like, oh, you like it? Oh, that's why we did it. Yeah, we thought you'd like that. Yeah, smashing in it. You know, I didn't get it. Like, the equals, hello, Eddie yeah. Grant. Yeah. You know, um, but. Um, I wanted the Velvet Underground jamming with Toots and the Maytals. Mm. So whatever the instrumentation was required for that. that I wanted City Angst mm. and Joie de Vivre of the survival skip to Malou of reggae. Yeah. They say it's happy music, but I think sometimes it feels to me like music, not after dinner, but instead of dinner. Mm. 
it's music to keep you going. So they say it's happy music, but I think it's music that just focuses on the pure joy of life because it's probably all it has. Instead to... of hunger. Yes, that's right, <laughs> yes. Dance to this yeah. instead. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's got a greater sense of joy to it. So I wanted the two, and with this new record I'm going to make with that chap, Jesse, that's what I'd like to go back to, the roots of. I want the, hmm. the, the drive and the panic underlying panic of the Velvet Underground with the celebration of life of Toots and the Motels. The underlying panic. Yeah. Ah, dissonance. Oh no. Something's going to happen. Yeah. Probably. Oh no. That, that yeah. That's that city life, isn't it? You know, where the yeah. sight, sound of hypertension. They say that's the sound of jazz, isn't it? Hypertension. City life. Yeah. 20th century city. There, there's, uh, you know, but in that sense there's an underlying panic of of the reggae music too, right? It's just a little harder to identify. Well, there's an interesting one. Well, yes, there is, yes. There probably is. Uh, it's probably a bit more stoic. Hmm. I would imagine. Yeah. So t- tell me tell me about the about the new record. I mean, you you, you just the, the song you played in Soundcheck was was off the new one, right? How can you stand there when all around you is a lie? How can you stand there and not wonder why? It's just like a state of the world generally, not really too specific, but uh, about basic inequality. How do we still stand there and let them get away with it, you know? Mm. I mean, I, I, did, I just saw there was a, a huge demonstration outside the BBC um, because it was not considered politically correct. The BBC didn't cover it. It was like a photograph of 50,000 people standing outside, but as far as the BBC could see, it was concerned they weren't there. They didn't there. cover their own protest? They weren't there. Yeah. It didn't happen. So that's nice, double speak. Some interest, you know, so I like that sort of thing, hmm. double speak. And uh, so to do with that sort of thing, but also to try and get an irresistible sort of beat, so as that even if you weren't interested in the rest of it, how can you stand there? Let's have a dance. Hmm. Something about dancing that's useful. For me, at least, when you were shaking your arms and legs, it seemed to open your heart. And when your heart felt a bit opener, more open, and your brain seemed to be able to take in things on a wider scale, you'd get inference. Like, for example, I'd dance to a song in a club, and I'd hear, and I knew the words backwards, and I'd hear something in the delivery of the lyrics, and I'd get what they meant. Oh, I see. I see That's what you meant. Yeah, because yeah. I would, I would, you know, it, it, in a sense, isn't isn't dancing almost almost a distraction? But you th- you think? Well, I, know I mean, I, obviously you're in tune with the music, but you're also you're also in tune with the lyrics. I think it, I think it, a bit like yoga settles your body, mm. so as your mind could focus. I think I having your body limbically involved, you're not driving. You're not thinking about anything but the music. That's right. Yeah. I think so, so I think it helps to focus it. Or it did for me, I don't know yeah. what it does for other people, but that's what it seemed to do for me. And so you, you have a sense then, you have a really nice happy tune, and you could have a fairly hard-hitting lyric, mm. but it'll still resonate and people will still smile and dance through it because their hearts have been opened and they're limbically active. So for for you, what is the... Um, I, you know, I guess what's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the end game with... Writing, writing lyrics with with addressing these 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 larger 
these larger issues. It's completely issues. I mean, selfish to start with. You, you <laughs> is, see. So, is somebody going to hear a, a ska song and go and change the world? Or Of course they are. They already have <laughs> so many times. It's unbelievable. They freed Nelson Mandela. So Exactly. <laughs> Boom. Hello. Um, probably generationally. Yeah. You know, maybe. You never know. Yes, attitudes have changed a bit. Like, there was de- um, riots in England and the two-tone collective of fans that still stick together and have these weekenders and lots of Facebooking and stuff like that. Um, They all had a more pragmatic approach, a response to the demonstrations, very similar to the demonstrations we had in the 80s, where all of us at the time said, well, that was bound to happen, you know, you keep putting the heat under a pressure cooker, it's going to blow. Now, we're closer to 60 than 20. A lot of people in our generation are saying the exact same things as our moms and dads were saying Mm -hmm. at the time. There's no political rationale to this. They're just bloody extremists, hooligans, taking advantage of a situation. They should be locked away and birched. And there was quite a a split amongst our generation. I was quite proud of the two-tone crowd. They didn't go for it. They still saw that when people go in the street and demonstrate and rip the mask off and say, come and get all this, they're not doing it to take the piss. They're doing something because there's something structurally wrong with society. Hmm. And uh, they're bearing witness to it in the only way they can. And, and, you, and you think being a part of the music is played a role in being, being part of the Yes, being part of that two-tone tolerance, yeah. two-tone unity. Yeah, it made a difference, and I saw it in the way people, different people reacting on Facebook initially, but in the wider world, yeah, I thought it did make a difference. It's only tiny, but that's a big difference. That's a big difference from the generational uh, response the previous generation. So, yeah, it made a difference. Now that uh, now that you're, I guess back on the wagon. I think that's how it goes back on. On the water wagon. On the. Wa- I don't know what this water wagon is. I, I can't imagine that anybody would be enough of a business for somebody to drive around with a truck full of water. Now that you would there be enough customers? Would you? Well, well, I guess I guess the ideas are not drinking other things. But are are you? Um, has your songwriting changed from that at all? I mean, it's obviously affected you on a personal level. Yeah, but that's a bit of an object-subject question. Mm. You know, I'm on the same... I'm sort of, if anything, I think it's become a bit more declaratory. You would have thought mm. it would be a bit more compassionate, wouldn't you? But no, <laughs> I can't say that recent weeks it has. You've got to watch, I remember last time, you've got to watch for that pink cloud where, like, you're so happy that you don't have a headache Hmm. and that you don't have to say sorry, probably, for something you said yesterday, that life in comparison just seems so great. You just mean think that that means everything's wonderful now. So, and that can go on for a couple of months, the pink cloud, it's called. And that's come and gone. And then you're left then with, why were you drinking in the first place, Hmm. apart from you've become dependent upon it and you were trying to get rid of the piss he had got from last night, you couldn't shift the headache with a shower. But a vodka or a cider would probably shift it, you know? And then you're on again. Uh, and so all of the stuff that was the reason why you reach for a drink, hmm. that starts to manifest itself 
in more focus yeah. all the reasons why you drank. Some of that's very hard to deal with because it was to do with avoidance. Some of it's really hard to deal with because it's things that you didn't want to accept about the world around you. You wanted to have it a certain way. As long as you stayed half cut, you could pretend that things were so. But becoming sober off the beer, you have to accept that yep. things are as they are. And, uh, and after hiding from stuff for a bit, then it's not nice to have to come and, oh, well, all right, I knew it was that all along. So that's not easy, but it's all grist for the mill, really, with yeah. lyrics, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> in a way, you're very lucky in my job, because the worse it gets, the more opportunities you have to write a cracker. <laughs> so, oh, I've had a bit of bad luck. Look at this one. <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, what, um, you know, when you... When you when you sort of go back and and examine your your your, your catalogue over over decades in various bands, I mean, how Awful. much of that? Awful! I've just been doing that. Well, how much of that has come has come out of suffering? All of it. All of it. All of it. And I wouldn't mind, but it's the same bloody story, really. Yeah. You know, it's, somebody left me, and I don't know why. Basically. You can still write those songs now that you're married. Well, I'm not currently married. You're not currently married. Okay. So yeah. So but yeah, I still write them anyway. Yeah. And about the person I was married to, and yeah. others. Uh, yeah. I. You always feel a sense of betrayal, you know. But it's worse for me, because as I pointed out to one of them, not only were they thinking the most awful things unsaid behind my back, they were also discussing it with each other, hmm. many of them, ex-wives and girlfriends without me knowing that's the only explanation do you have proof for this or oh this is just they're saying exactly the same <laughs> thing aren't they there can be no other explanation <laughs> they've got a facebook group unless it's me <laughs> which it couldn't possibly be exactly <laughs> see so there yeah. the betrayal is proven yeah yeah no so i think the saddest thing is you the only thing you learn is you never learn yeah that you can make all the promises you like under pressure you're going to revert to type and I wasn't joking at the end of Save It For Later run away, run away, run away I'll let you down hmm. um, so I tend to I tend to the next song tends to be more important to me than what I promised somebody that I don't remember what I said and they never lived up to their part of it anyway they're only mentioning it because they're pissed I mean that's a 30 year old song but that's still Still hits, still cuts to the some, quick. Some people, yeah, some yeah. people. It's their favorite. So no, some, but like I mean, last night was saying it. You no, it's a great song. I mean, you know, you, but you, you. I'm, I'm saying you wrote it. You wrote it 30 years ago, but it, it still stands for you. Well, it's just that most of the time it says, "I'll uh, run away, run away. You let me down." Yeah. It's kind of a bit accusative. But yeah. at the end, it, the big long run away, run away, run away. And it goes that many runaways. I thought nobody had noticed. I'll run away, <laughs> run away. I'll let you down. Yeah. And. Uh, and so it tends to remain true. Now, I suppose probably that's what people do. I don't know. I'm not sure. Hmm. Uh, but it's grist for the mill for songwriting. Yeah. And songwriting, for me, is like something normally that I can't cope with. Something that's agitated me in my personal life or hmm. on the news. Or sometimes, quite often, a combination of the two. 
an awful combination of the macro and the micro yeah. worlds both getting kind of intense at the same time and it, uh, it, it it's like a a copper kettle of frogs being boiled and you start hopping around in there and um, and I, I, it starts coming out in rhyming couplets it's good that you set it to happy music though because it might be unbearable otherwise oh my god no. <laughs> if, I, if I did like mirroring the bathroom to, yeah. to a cure or echo and the bunny yeah. song you, you, people would have to have a warning now you might slit your wrist to this one you know, don't try and operate heavy machinery or drink with this one. Here in the bathroom. What the? What the hell? You know, both, isn't it? It's bleak and it's happy. I've 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 spent I don't know how many years trying to figure out exactly what that song is about. Which one? Mirror in the bathroom. It's really all it is. It's having a shave in the mirror. That's okay. all it was. It wasn't about cocaine. I didn't. Have I always assumed it was then. about cocaine. Of course you did. It, it was in the eighties. The 80s. first time I got to New York, people started asking me what the song was about. Yeah. What the song was about did actually start to change. Mm. But at the time, it was about shaving with a hangover, going to work on a construction site, not wanting to go to work and talking to myself in the mirror. Come on, Dave, it's just me and you here, mate. Mm. We don't have to do this. Look, the door's locked, you can see. You could see the catch of the door in the mirror. But I went to work and on the motorbike started mulling the poem over and I thought it was a smashing, very funny apart from I thought you can't have a song called Mirror in the Bathroom stupid title is that uh, uh, sofas in the living room <laughs> duh where's the bed though? beds in the bedroom yes that's right stupid name for a song but apart from that great but then it turned into one but it wasn't initially about that but it was about self-obsession narcissism and about how that would do all the more to disconnect you from society. Mm. So the more you become self-obsessed, the less able you were to connect. But you're in one of the, you know, not few, well, I, I guess it's a relatively rare thing that you you do for a living something that is um, <laughs> perhaps enhanced by your narcissism. No, that's right. It's fantastic. I mean, it's the perfect hideaway for an amorous narcissist, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know, but then you must, yeah, of course as I often do, about five minutes before I go on. Well, why are you doing this anyway, Dave? What is it that makes you need to stand there and have people tell you that you look really good and you're singing great and your lyrics are so clever? Why couldn't you just go and do something useful? What's the need for this, Dave? Hmm. What is this? Did your uncle take you down the shed? Did you never really get over it? My uncle didn't take me down the shed, by the way, but I was just... I thought we were going to get into some real some yeah. real, some real talk. You know. Did your uncle take you down the shed then? Oh, no, we didn't have a shed. Ah, that's your problem, you see. Now, if your uncle had had a good shed, you'd have worked this out of your system. No, but there is a base. Some, anybody, certainly anybody who writes and sings songs, yeah. and then I think it might extend to anybody who comments on people who do mm. such a weird thing, probably basically sociopaths. Something happened in their yeah. teenage years to make them have a view of the world that made the the passion and fury of entertainment uh, or music more real than the real world so some had happened well, I'm not yeah. saying it's the shed well you told me you told me a, a story earlier about um, cutting a woman's wig to look like Brian Jones playing a yes, tennis I, rack in front of the mirror playing a tennis rack in front of the mirror and I, I only got caught the once and it wasn't too bad 
But then when the new romantics came out, I was ever so jealous, you know. Mm. All of a sudden we looked like out-of-work union <laughs> marchers standing outside Top of the Pops, you know. Why aren't we on Top of the Pops? Why aren't we on Top of the... And there was all these guys dressed as girls and uh, or pirates. And, and I was so jealous of it, really. And I said, well, look, going back to that same time in my Brian Jones wig with the cricket bat... I said, everybody goes in their mom's bedroom when she's out, you know, yeah. try on some of her clothes, bit of makeup, but the idea is get it all back in the wardrobe, get the muck washed off your face, mm. and get downstairs before she gets home. You're not meant to go on top of the pops like that, are you? <laughs> we all do it. Come on. Where does okay. uh, so where, where where does where does general public fit in there? I mean, where was that? Um in the pantheon of, of 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 you know of, of this idea of you know I guess towards the end of the beat of again you standing in front of top of the pops was was, was how how conscious of a reinvention was that? Well, it was kind of uh, a reaction more than anything else. Um, David Steele, particularly and quite rightly too, as he always was, retrospectively uh, wanted two years off said that we'd been in pop groups too much mm. and there wasn't nothing to write about. There wasn't nothing to be inspired about. Two uh, more planes than buses nowadays was the key phrase. Yeah. And that we should just go and live. Experience reality. And not write yeah. about, you know, barreling down rock and roll boulevard or whatever. And But me and Roger had just had children... And we weren't really in a position to do that, mm. we didn't think. To live? To live without doing anything else. Yeah. And um, and we liked singing live, particularly. I like singing live. I like that more than making records. I like being a troubadour. It's funny. Mm. You fuck up some nights, you do great ones some nights. I like it. And it's like a tightrope. And you've got to try and keep yourself healthy to sing 20 shows in a row or something. It's, I like it. It's interesting. It's fun. Um, so general public was sort of born out of the need of that. At a time where we were negotiating in England with Virgin Records about a new beat contract. But it would keep stopping. And then it sort of came out. It was, kept stopping because... David still didn't want to do anything for a couple of years and even if he did do the beat he didn't want to tour America and there was a long list of reasons why well the beat had got fallen together magically, the mm. first person we met who played every instrument was the person who ended up in the group and everything was like rags to riches you know um, plucked from obscurity and suddenly two tone darling spokespeople for a generation we hadn't even met you know. Part of the, the, this movement that's sort of happening in different places at the same time. I mean, yeah. really perfect timing. Immaculate. Yeah. So it all started to come to bits. And Virgin asked me, did I want a deal instead? Because it didn't look like nobody wanted to do anything. And As in, do you want to be a pop star? Yeah. Yeah. And I said yes. And I got some songs, tenderness included, mm. which they'd heard. Mm-hmm. I couldn't get anybody to record it. I was like, really? It's a great song. Nobody could be, they couldn't be bothered to really? rehearse it. We get it oh, out. just your, your just band? On your way. Yeah. Just the beat. We'd, you know, it was it. We, we got a rehearsal space together, finally, too late. Just in time for the third album. But after that, 
we'd set up rehearsals and somebody would have to show up two hours late because their accountant had to, to see him about summit and then somebody else had got to leave two hours early because they were getting this Norwegian cooking range put in, you know, and you've got to be there for that. They'll break the tiles otherwise, <laughs> you know. And they might steal things. And you'd have about a half hour in the <laughs> middle to, like, yeah. have a chat, yeah. talk about playing something, go home. So it, it, was, it was clear, you know, it was, it was clear that it was done. And so, um, as that knock on the door, mm-hmm. that poltergeist just shows the timing of it's immaculate. And so, um, but I kind of went down as the executioner. Mm. Although, it was really, I was just left with the job of taking the death certificate from the hospital to the office of records to report the death. But I sort of went down as the executioner at the time. But I didn't really care, I thought of the name in the first place, so who cares, Sodom, I don't care. But, um they'd packed in working with each other yeah and they didn't work with each other afterwards after I'd gone they didn't carry on working with each other and there's a reason for that that's because they'd stopped working with each other before I left which is why I left let let me let let, we can end end on this um, a song I hope it's a song yep do you like musicals I hate them I really hate them. There's that leap of faith where suddenly I don't know why he's singing at me and you have to look like and keep a straight face. It's like, fucking jerks just started singing. What do I do? I hate it. I always feel so sorry for the person who's catching the singing. There's nothing nothing that makes you more conscious of the fact that you're standing, you're you're sitting watching actors act in front of fake singing. I know! (laughs) It's like, why did you do that? No. Being a singer... I mean, I've had all sorts of stimuluses in my life that have made me want to respond to people in a certain mm-hmm. way. But I don't think anybody's ever done or said anything that's, one of, that's made me want to burst into tune. Nothing you've ever said has made me want to do this. You should work that into the into the set. Casual conversation into a song. I'd like to tell you <laughs> yeah. a little bit about this number. You have to do it in a New York style. Mm-hmm. Da, 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 this little. Oh yeah, you'll need about ten more people on stage to really pull that off. You know, and a clapping. A pit. Yeah. Um, but I know you could you work with? I know you, you probably make a lot of money with this boing boing business mm-hmm. and that. The, mm-hmm. the advertising then blogs sell now is miraculous, isn't it? There's yeah, money. Yeah, there's see, there's still money in entertainment. But if you wanted to get a little side number going as a stylist. Yeah. You know, societal stylist. I mm-hmm. could do with and, and I like the cut of your jib. Your <laughs> questions, they've been incisive, humorous, but connected. You know, connectivity, that's what they say. Well, let me, let, let me bring it, let, let's bring it around to Boom. the Boom, here we go. To, to end it. Um, How much does it cost to get a good interview in your thing? How much does it cost <laughs> to get it? What, <laughs> and, we used to know the prices of all the magazines. As right in how now. much am I paying you to... to <laughs> to speak to me is that the question <laughs> we should have settled that up before we started oh no no <laughs> oh, shit um no but but I, you know I, I do want I want to know what um specifically what the what the the, the beat means to you and, and, and I ask that from the standpoint of um you know, when the band when the when the band ended the first time, that was the end of the band. That was you moving on to something else. That was oh, the, I see, yes. the end of the name and um and now, and 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 definitely correct me if I, I'm wrong, but you know now my understanding is there, there's kind of this group that tours the U.S., but is yes. but there's still some semblance of the U.K. version. Is that Roger? Okay, has one which did have Saxer in every yeah in it from and Blockhead 
yeah. quite a lot of them, but they've all drifted off. So it's Roger okay. who does one with his son. Pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. Um, and he probably thinks his is better than mine. Uh, I like to think mine's better than his. And because we both sing my songs, and I wrote them yeah. for my voice, and he's a smashing toaster, and I'm a crooner. Mm. Really, I can belt if I have to, but I'm a crooner by trade, and I wrote the lyrics, their crooning lyrics. So, he, I think he sings the faster, harder songs better. Yeah. And when he gets down to the crooning bits, he croons about as well as I toast. It's just sort of a, it's it's a strange thing, isn't it, that there are two. Not really, because uh, it, it would be a bit tough uh, living six thousand miles away, and we did yeah. do a general public, which didn't last for long but it did come up with that great cover of I'll Take You There which both President Clinton and President Obama used and they both won twice (laughs) I'm not saying anything about the politics but if anybody's ever looking for someone to write a tune Mm. to get to the White House Mm -hmm. I'll Take You There you know from a song from a movie called Threesome Mm -hmm. Uh, so I thought that was pretty good and um it didn't last very long, but one of the main reasons was it was like $10,000 just to have lunch and go and yeah. talk about having a rehearsal, just for someone to fly. I'll, I'll fly the other side of the world then. And it was just too much. It was hard. We tried, and it was too much. And so it was quite amicable to start with that I said, well, just use the name in England then. And then if I come to England, I'll work with you. If you come to America, you work with me. And it was all happy, happy to start with, but then... Once his unit got a bit more functioning, hmm. then I wasn't welcomed anymore, really. And they tried to book a couple of tours of America. It's the original English Beats, original members. Yeah. But I wasn't invited. So it got a bit tenuous. Not, I don't think, nine times out of ten. It's not me and Roger. It's people who work for us, looking after their interests and what they perceive as mine or Roger's interests. And there's as many people who'd like us not to work together because it might jeopardise their position (laughs) as would put us together. So often we've come close to working together and then the representatives steam in with kind of unmanageable requests Hmm. so that everybody can walk away and go, oh, well, that could have happened, that nearly happened. But I Last time me and Roger sang together, there was no problem. We did a great job together. We even found we had muscle memory of silly little knee moves and that we did at the same time and caught ourselves doing it. As we walked off stage, he said, oh, well, we still remember that, how to do that then. And I was like, yeah. He said, we've still got it then. I was yeah. like, uh, yeah. So I've, I've invited him a few times now, but it's difficult. Uh, he was the junior partner. He's now Napoleon and wears the coat to show it. And he sings my songs, but he don't really like talking to me. Hmm. So it's uh, it's awkward. It's awkward. But I think it will happen. I was just talking to somebody on the phone today about a way it might happen. And I only think it should happen, not because I think me and Roger owe each other anything. We did some great work together, and we got bored of each other and maybe learnt as much as we'd got at the time, and that's fine. But um, everybody who I've spoken to about it who have paid for everything that me, Roger, our children and grandchildren have eaten ever since would like us to sing <laughs> together, please, whilst we can yeah. and whilst they can come out and enjoy it. And could we shut up and sing? And so I'm like, oh, yeah, fine. I mean, 
It's a stupid dream with a cricket bat and a Brian Jones wig on. You're only doing it because you don't think it's going to happen. Hmm. It's a fantasy that you're going to be a songwriter, a troubadour. And now, you know, I'm getting to the stage where I might need to be looking around for a Brian Jones wig. You ended up a lot better than Brian Jones did, though. <laughs> well, the band didn't drown me, yeah. if that's what you're saying. I managed to get out. It was the swim training, you know. I was an avid yeah. swimmer before, yeah. and I, I managed to dodge that one, yeah. I could have done with drowning. Mm-hmm. A good drowning would have taught me a lesson, I think. It would have calmed me down, sometimes. It's about all that would have calmed me down. And I tried, I think now, in retrospect, I was trying to drown myself in beer. Mm. Yes, to put everybody else out of mm-hmm. their misery, but I just... Yeah. kept passing out before I'd finally waterboarded myself to the correct point. There you have it. Dave Wakeling of the English Beat. Uh, excuse me, of the Beat, I guess, if you're anywhere but, but here in the United States. And uh, general public, uh, a lot of fun speaking with Dave. We recorded that one on his tour bus parked outside the, uh, the city winery in Manhattan. I just remember being an incredibly hot day, so... Thank, thank goodness for, for tour bus air conditioning and um, and you know a lot of a lot of a lot of pleasure speaking with uh, with Mr. Wakeling. Been, he's been around the block a few times. Lots of insight into his uh, into his music making process and uh, you know, a little bit into his personal life as well. Um, so if you uh, if you see I guess if you see the beat here in the United States, it's going to be Dave. If you see them in the UK, chances are it'll be Rankin Rogers Project. They've they've kind of got the the name divided up at this point, but hopefully. Hopefully they will be joining forces again in the not-too-distant future. It does sound like that's, uh, that's a possibility. Uh, so thanks again today for doing that. Uh, thanks to Brian, as always, for editing this thing together. Thanks to Mark and everybody else at the Boing Boing Podcast Network for hosting us up. So many good podcasts over there for you to check out. You can check them out over at boingboing.net. You can check them out uh, over at iTunes. We've got a lovely iTunes page. And while you're at iTunes, why not take the time to rate this show? If you've got any feedback, that's riwildcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Tumblr. That's rewildcast.tumblr.com. You'll get the show's hours uh, and and very often days before they actually go over on boingboing.net. Uh, thanks, everyone. Thanks so much for, uh, for tuning in. Lots of good shows coming up. We will catch you next week with another episode of RIYL. Mm-hmm.